Welcome to Write Good, the only podcast that helps you write good. I'm Raquel S. Benedict, author, dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor. In this episode, we are examining the legacy of the most important writer of the 20th century, a man 40 years ahead of his time, the immortal Garth Marenghi. Joining us is Matt Keeley, literary connoisseur and host of KittySneezes.com. Matt, I understand Marenghi's work is near and dear to your heart. Which of his books is your favorite? Oh, God. I mean, there's so many to choose from. I know in the past, like, and I, there were like, I think 428, I believe. And I I mean, that was a few years ago. So who even knows by this point? But for me, I think I would have to go with Afterbirth. And for those of our listeners, unfortunately, who have never read this masterpiece, it's a gripping tale of what happens when a placenta attacks Bristol. And never before have I seen a work that could be compared to both Gravity's Rainbow and Eraserhead in equal measure. Yeah, that's a really, really good one. That's a really, really good one. There are so many. So, I mean, if if you have to go with a different title, I, I totally understand. But for oh, me, right. it's Afterbirth. Right. I'm pretty partial to Slicers 3. I know that might be a controversial one. I know it's a departure from the rest of the Slicers series, but I think it really took things in a revolutionary new direction. It was truly experimental. Well, and that's the thing with it. When you have true talent like Garth Marenghi, it doesn't matter what form it takes. I mean, I mean, look at the man himself, you know, perfectly adept at fiction uh fiction writing film television painting he he is a true renaissance man absolutely there are very few people like him alas too few too few garth marenghi truly was a trailblazer in many ways he laid the foundation for the majority of successful award-winning genre writers today he is quoted famously as saying I'm one of the few people who've written more books than they've read. Note the use of the phrase, few people, few. Back then, being a writer who didn't read put you in the minority. They were marginalized people, in a way. But Marenghi's hard work and success paved the way for writers like Cassandra Clare and Chuck Wendig and the many YA fantasy authors who title their books something like A Grown of Stone and Bone. You know, honestly... I think reading is overrated. I mean, really. There, there's only so many stories out there. What, six, three? I mean, that's like, what, an afternoon and you're good to go? And besides, who needs to know how a story works? I mean, you know, I watch a movie. I go, hey, that's a story. How does it work? 
like that. I mean, though, honestly, I'm a really busy guy and I know I'm not alone here. And if I can't get the gist in just a line or two, I, I, I mean, what are we even doing here? Right, right. I mean, do you really need to read a book to understand it? It's perfectly valid to just read an out-of-context excerpt posted on a social media site somewhere, and based on that short, short excerpt without context, declare the author a dangerous, harmful abuser to the community and demand that they apologize and remove their book. It's fine. And fortunately, you know, most Hugo-winning authors do that now. It's good. Yeah, and it really, I mean, it's it's a quick and easy way to separate the wheat from the chaff, you know? I mean, yeah. who who needs the, the headache of reading something offensive or upsetting when someone else has already done that? So just let them do all the, the heavy lifting, all the hard work, and just, you know... Yeah, just vibe. Vibe, exactly. Yeah. In the bad old days things were a lot harder. The publishers would expect you, the writer, to hook the reader in the first sentence. The reader had to be hooked in the first sentence. Now it's a lot easier for readers. Now, basically, if I can't understand an entire novel within one out-of-context sentence, I feel very comfortable sending death threats to the author and getting them fired from their day job. It's a good system. If they didn't want death threats, they should have thought about what they were writing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. Uh, it's just... Talk shit, get hit. Yeah, yeah. That's. I'm sorry. It's called consequences. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, you know? Anyway. Ex exactly. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of communities, let's talk a little bit about diversity. Marenki's work had diverse casts with positive representation of marginalized people long before that was standard in entertainment. His magnum opus, the proto-prestige drama Dark Place, featured a black man in a position of authority, a Hispanic martial artist, Dr. Lucien Sanchez, a Bermudan medical intern, and a strong female character in Dr. Liz Asher, a psychic physician who graduated from Harvard College, Yale, where she aced every semester, and she got an A. And during the regressive Margaret Thatcher administration, Garth Marenghi was one of very few mainstream artists willing to plea for tolerance for the Scottish. Oh, God, Scottish myth just gets me right there, you know, just watching that, where he, the Scots even accept him not only as one of their own, but one of the pinnacles of Scottish culture, despite not even being Scottish. I mean, that is It's amazing. beautiful. It, yes, it's, it, it really just warms the cockles of your heart. And, and I mean, it isn't even just the Scottish. Famously, his book, Hellbent, he, he addressed the idea of coming out because that book was about a gay demon. And even in its sequels, Hellbenders and Hellbenders 2, The Boys Are Back. I mean, I know, I know it's a little bit problematic for such a just achingly heterosexual man's man to write about gay characters. But honestly, it's Garth Marenghi. We all know that he is talented enough to pull it off. And I mean, honestly, I, I think as an outsider to the community, I think that gives him extra insight that only an outsider can can pull off. 
absolutely. And for far too long, we've had so, so, so many cultural works, songs especially about love, but only one about the boys being back in town. And in Hellbenders 2, Garth Marenghi gave us a second work about the boys being back in town, presumably. Exactly. I mean, he, and again, that's just, you know, his love of jumping media. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in Marenghi's archive, which hopefully it will be open to the public one day, I can only hope, oh, I yeah. would imagine he's got at least one concept album about his work, probably even Hellbenders too. I mean, that if, if I were to think of all of his uh, all of his works, that one is the one that seems to most lend itself to the uh, to the rock opera, really. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about Marenghi's very unique style. Marenghi was a pioneer of what Wesley Ossum termed novelization style. That is, novels written by and for screen adaptation. Novels free of the taint of influence of other books. Novels that read like they were written as novelizations of Hollywood movies or TV shows. This is a wildly popular style in contemporary genre fiction. Jonathan Scalzi is a real champion of it. Any cultural knowledge Marenghi has, he clearly obtained purely by osmosis. For instance, his work often references Lovecraft, but it's very obvious that he has not read it. He has kept his mind pure. And he absolutely has not read any literary criticism about the themes of modern alienation so important to cosmic horror. If Marenghi were writing today, he would probably win a Hugo Award. And, and I'd, I'd just like to butt in here, too, and say that I think it's a great thing that he didn't read any of that hateful racist's work. I mean, there obviously there's nothing to, that can be gleaned from it because that guy was such... He was bad. Yeah, such an awful, awful human being. So just, ugh, yeah. who needs it? You know, we have, we. that's why we have people like Garth Marenghi because they can, they can channel that through from that free flowing through the atmosphere and filter it through his singular vision without any of the, the nasty stuff that you get from other authors. Ugh. Yeah, he's basically like a an N95 mask or something. Just like exactly. breathe through him. We breathe the cosmic horror through him. Exactly. And and there's nothing else I'd rather breathe through. Absolutely. Marenghi's prose was ambitious. Not content to wallow in literariness, it aspired to great heights, to be adapted as a network television program. As Oscar Wilde wrote, we're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking up at the stars. And that's how contemporary SFF writers make their books, as fodder for streaming adaptations. The book is merely the seed from which we hope one day will sprout a Hulu or Amazon show to be canceled after one season. Again, it's really a shame Marenghi was stuck in the 80s, decades before the era of streaming. He would thrive today. Oh, you know he wouldn't. And honestly, I I'm surprised that we haven't gotten more episodes of Dark Place other than the uh, six or so that are streaming on Amazon Prime available now for, uh, I believe it's like $99 a year. 
just just an amazing service, by the way. But also, you know, I think that his his work is also primed for a reboot or a, a revisit. I Absolutely. mean, I know personally, I would love to hear what Garth Marenghi has to say about social media. I mean, can you imagine Marenghi just weighing in on Twitter and Facebook and all that and know, and be able to cut directly to the quick of these issues today? Oh, it would be great. And plus, his episodes were so dense. They were, there was so much depth to them. I would love to see those six episodes of Dark Place adapted into six seasons, pure streaming style, just taking each one episode and stretching and stretching and stretching it out until it's almost invisible. That's how thin it is into a full season. I mean, could you imagine a full oh. season on the episode where Liz's psychic powers just go off and she starts killing people in the hospital because the chef doesn't give her chicken. Oh, or, you know, I'll go you one better. I know that there's a lot of times where you get the, um, the series where it's a, a normal series, but each of the episodes is like its own TV movie, like oh, yeah. with, um, with the uh, BBC Sherlock. Why do we not have a BBC dark place? I can't imagine. I truly don't know. There must be some kind of bias. Maybe maybe he speaks truth to power a little too much. Yeah, I mean, no wonder his, you know, his masterwork was shunted off to Channel 4 instead of the the BBC BBC 1 where it tri- rightfully belongs. Absolutely. Ugh. Garth Marenghi was brave. He once said, "I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards." Perhaps cowards isn't the word we'd use today, but in the 80s, people didn't really use terms like unsafe or problematic, but his disdain for subtext would win him a prized position of power in today's genre fiction community. Consider writer Maria Haskins's review of The Infamous Helicopter Story. I think a lot of us reading it has that uncomfortable reaction to it because it feels as if it's really doing something other than what it looks on the surface like it's doing. Or writer slash editor Charles Pezur of Neon Hemlock Press, who replied, right, it feels like it's almost preying on our generosity. That's called subtext. And Marenghi was one of the first to denounce it. A hero, truly. You know, honestly, it's cruel to make people dig for what you mean. I mean, I know that this is a writing podcast, but again, I'd like to point to Marenghi's brilliant outing in television, Dark Place. It's a absolutely brilliant name. It tells you that this is a place where dark things happen. And it's also a place that is frequently dark, you know, in terms of lighting. We should all strive for that sort of clarity and brevity. As the man himself said, There's nothing worse than a work of art that leaves you asking questions. Absolutely. I mean, that's emotional labor. And more worse than that, it's unpaid emotional labor. If if anything, it's the reader would have to pay the writer in order to perform emotional labor for the writer, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. It's it's legalized slavery is what it is. Yeah, it's terrible. It's it's really offensive. Just just disgusting, really. I when when are when are readers going to unionize? Oh God, not soon enough. Not soon enough. But let's switch and talk about 
some of the important topics Marenghi's work explored. Garth Marenghi's fiction dealt with incredibly important topics and asked difficult questions like, what if a rat could drive a bus? And what if it and its rat brethren took over and ate parliament? A chilling political possibility which he explored in Black Fang. Though honestly, with those clowns in Parliament, I mean, would it really be a bad thing? (laughs) Uh, But seriously, though, I mean, the man is a visionary, and I I worry sometimes that he might be seen as a Cassandra figure, Mm. because, you know, look at his book, Crab. That was written in the 1980s, and it warned us about genetic engineering because it could make giant crabs that'll kill people. And, you know, today, look at all the scientists still getting into genetic engineering with their GMOs and whatnot. Right, right, right. He warned us about late-stage crabitalism long before Paperback Paradise did. Garth Marenghi was not afraid to get topical. The Dark Place episode titled The Creeping Moss from the Shores of Shogoth, in which Dr. Sanchez falls in love with a woman who has been transformed into broccoli by an unexplainable green mist, dealt with the AIDS epidemic as only speculative fiction can, through an incredibly blunt didactic metaphor. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't actually talk about AIDS directly. It would inevitably use the barrier gaze trope, and you can't do that. That's, that's forbidden. That's very problematic. And besides, really, it's hardly uplifting at all. Such a downer. I mean, I I know that the Creeping Moss did have a a somewhat of a sad ending, but then, of course, it's always leavened with hope. As, you know, Dr. Rick Daglas Dag offers his best friend, Dr. Sanchez, that he will not rest until he finds Dr. Sanchez a replacement penis. And I mean, that is just it, it's it, beautiful. A, a triumph of the human spirit. A triumph and a beautiful, beautiful alternative to toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like, is there mm-hmm. any more non-toxic masculinity than one hotshot, brilliant super surgeon giving his best friend a new penis because his real penis had to be removed because it was turned into broccoli penis by some sort of mistborn curse, sexually transmitted via a broccoli woman. Exactly. I mean, it's just, oh, I, it, it's impossible to put into words how amazing that story is. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, honestly, we could chop this podcast off right here and just go and play the creeping moss from the shores of Shagoth. And honestly, I think we would be much better for it. Right, right, right. And I really think that young men should be forced to watch that episode just to get an idea of what non-toxic masculinity looks like. It's such a perfect template for male friendship. Exactly. I should be shown in schools every year from kindergarten up. Absolutely. 100%. Now, Marenghi dealt with social issues, but he wasn't afraid to tackle personal issues either. Skipper the Eye Child touches on many kinds of trauma. The trauma of sexual assault at the hands of an interdimensional demon. 
the trauma of losing a child to a terrible jumping accident, and the trauma of losing yet another child because it is a demonic cannibal eyeball creature that has to be euthanized to prevent it from killing people. I mean, what is Skipper the Eye Child but love persevering? As we know, if a story is about trauma, then it's important, and we have to take it seriously. And I, I think it helps that, you know, Marenghi himself has known such such loss and trauma himself. I mean, famously, uh, part of Skipper the Eye Child is his own grappling with the fact that he never had a son at all. And he had four daughters, sure. But I mean, it's not a son, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's it's so different. I mean, a, and if, honestly, as much as I grieve for uh, Marenghi's loss in that aspect, I have to wonder if it was all worth it because if he weren't saddled with uh, such tragedy, would he be the same author? Would he have given us work like Skipper the Eye Child? I don't know. I and I I don't know. I I think his work might be right. Marenghi was able to take the the lemon of having four healthy beautiful daughters and turn it into lemonade for all of us and what a generous gift. What yes, a generous I, I, gift. Yes, that that's a great way of putting it. He he turned his lemons into a free lemonade stand for all of us to to be nourished and have our thirsts quenched. Yeah, truly a wonderful person. And most of all, though, Dark Place is about found family. Liz, Dr. Sanchez, Daglas, and Thornton Reed, and Wanton to a lesser extent, truly a family just as valid and important as the Avengers or the Super Friends or the Scooby-Doo gang. And we really owe Garth Marenghi respect for being the first writer ever to explore it. Yes, it's it's truly amazing. If, if you were to map Dark Place to the uh, traditional nuclear family, I suppose, I would say that I, I think Thornton Reed would be the the domineering mother of it. Juan Todd would be the absent father, and Liz Ch- Sanchez and Daglas are all the the three children. Like I, I, how I personally picture it is that Daglas is the the oldest son, the the golden boy, the 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 the, the true heir. He's the one who had to step in because his father was absent and and take on the responsibilities of being the man of the house a little too young, I think. Exactly. And Sanchez is sort of the uh, older middle brother, maybe just a couple of years younger than Dag, but, you know, still on that time where they're very close, but there's still a lot of things that Sanchez can learn from Dag. And then you have Liz there completing the thing, completing the family as the the young young daughter who hap- who was born maybe a decade after the result of an unplanned pregnancy that they decided to just let go because you know why not yeah ah oh, well there's so much to say about garth marenghi 
But alas, our time has reached its end. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on this important, completely sincere, very serious episode. Oh, thank you for having me. It's It's been an honor to speak about one of the, the, the certainly the greatest writer of my time. Absolutely. And to the rest of you, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, head to patreon.com slash write good and subscribe. Until next time, keep writing good. This has been Write Good with Raquel S. Benedict. Hosted by Raquel S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. Theme song by Surgery Head. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittysneezes.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittysneezes.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. Kittysneezes.com in color. <laughs> <laughs>